0: Welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson. If you're a steady listener of this podcast, you're probably wondering, where has she been for over a year since the last episode came out? Well, let me tell you, there's been a lot of life updates, lots of things going on, you know, moved not too long after the last episode, started um, trying to work on conceiving, had a baby. Now I got a one-month-old, so a lot of life updates, so a lot podcasting took a back burner, but we're back, and thank you for listening. We started, you know, like I said, I had a now one-month-old, decided to kick off this podcast return with uh, sitting down with one of my friends who's also an uh, OBGYN and talking a bit about things around the world of babies, postpartum. Black maternal health, a little bit of everything. So I hope you have your snack in the morning, evening, or afternoon, depending on when you're listening to this. Sit on back and take a listen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson, and I have the distinct pleasure, privilege to introduce you all as listeners to one of my favorite people that I've known for a fair amount of time through our husband's. Um, but she's become, I'd say, my friend too, By individually by ourselves. Um Dr. Elizabeth baquet hey, How are you doing, Elizabeth?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks, Monique. It's so nice to be uh, on your show today. Yes,
0: I'm very excited. One, to see you because I feel like it's been eight million years, even though you're a hop, skip, and a jump, but lots has happened since I've seen you with my own eyes not oh, a lot. Lot. So um as I kind of introde a little bit maybe you can give the folks the listeners here a bit about how we know each other and a little bit about your background uh personal professional all the fun things
1: yeah so um we know each other uh, as you said through our husbands our husbands went to school together back in New Orleans and so they met when they were um High schoolers, I think it's when they met in high school at Saint Aug, um, and they've been friends ever since. And by virtue of them still being friends, um, we each got married to them respectively, and now we're friends. Um, and so it's been great to get to know you, and you know, your last name is Watson, and. Your husband's name is Christian, but I know him as Watson because everybody at St. Hogg called each other by their last name. So um it's great to know you and Watson and to have y'all in our lives. And so that's how we know each other. Um, and we've just become friends through them. Um, But now, like you said, friends in our own right. And personally about me, so... Uh, my husband, like I said, is from New Orleans, but I'm from Houston. And so that's where I am living now, but I've grown up here. Um, I moved away for college and I went to Carlson College in Minnesota, small liberal arts school, just to get away and do something completely different, which just happens to be where I met my husband. And uh, and then from there, I went to uh, medical school at the University of North Texas, Osteopathic Medical School in Fort Worth. And I just recently graduated from obstetrics and gynecology residency at baylor college of medicine in houston texas Um, and i will start my own uh, hospital-based private practice in obstetrics and gynecology next month um and so it's been quite a journey i graduated for the last time in june and i'm so happy for that (laughs) um but now uh but now i am here getting ready to start my uh you know, really start my career, even though it's kind of been an ongoing journey for many, many years now over a decade, it feels so.
0: Oh, my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> I I'm raising the roof and all the things for I had no inklings of that journey through my sister who's in her now her second year of residency. I think she's got five to do with with her specialty mm-hmm. in ENT had a neck surgery stuff. So I know, and having an aunt who's an anesthesiologist who actually was on one of our episodes, and I'll link that here when we're talking about the pandemic early on when the vaccines were just starting to come out um, and fun stuff. So I'll link that in the in the comments below for our listeners for that episode and the whole COVID series as well. Um, but yeah, it's great to know you and you're on the journey of like, now you're a, air quotes, real doctor you're not a resident you're not a med student you're like
1: no longer in training it's me yeah
0: it's you it's you you. um so yeah let's jump into I'll walk our listeners here so we've talked a little bit about our intro then we're going to get into talking about uh, a little bit more about OBGYNs kind of what that is for folks who may not be familiar with that kind of acronym or shorthand um what attracted you to that specialty some of the the high points of your job and maybe your least favorite parts of that uh, job. And then we'll get into some of the um, some information um, as two people of color, you know, people who identify, uh, you know, as a as women of color. We talk about and there's a lot more attention in the most recent years. I, I got to say up until maybe two ish, three years ago, hadn't really heard much around the black maternity health vantage mm-hmm. point, maybe it was my naivete ma- marked with, maybe it wasn't, maybe it's just kind of risen more as a thing through social media, but we'll talk a bit about that. Um, and you having a unique perspective as an OBGYN and a recent mother and all, mm-hmm. the- and we can talk about that. And we'll close up talking a bit in general, moving out of just Black maternity health to um, maternity health and around postpartum depression and things like that. And then we'll close out with, uh, any kind of information you want to share, maybe some links for further information or further reading for folks or anything you want to share and close out with. All right. Good. So OBGYN that I'm not gonna lie. OBGYN, I, I always visualize some star Wars character. It just like reminds it's me
1: Obi-Wan, yeah. <laughs> Obi-Wan
0: Kenobi, but like, I know that sort of thing. So maybe for folks who maybe aren't as familiar, what does that entail? Kind of, I think kind of the OB and the GYN aspects of that.
1: Yeah, it's funny because there's really um, two sides to it and there are people who um, go into OBGYN and favor one side or the other. So the two sides are kind of obstetrics and gynecology. So obstetrics being the OB and gynecology being the GYN. Um, And so when, in my practice, I'll be definitely doing both. Um, So I'll be in both worlds, but The obstetrics world really focuses on pregnancy. So that's all aspects of pregnancy, the pre-pregnancy, the pregnancy itself and the post-pregnancy. So like all the way from, you know, that post-pregnancy being that postpartum period Um, and pre-pregnancy being I want to get pregnant, but I'm not pregnant yet. So even that talking about how to get pregnant, what it takes to be pregnant or how to, um, you know, improve your um, pregnancy itself before your pregnancy gets started. So that includes talking about anybody who has chronic health conditions, anybody who needs to get vaccinated for certain things you can't get vaccinated for during pregnancy, having those conversations before pregnancy, um, taking prenatal vitamins, even before you're trying to get pregnant, all those things that are really important are part of that kind of obstetric side. So having those conversations, and then obviously, like I said, all the way through pregnancy, your labor, your delivery, and then your postpartum care. Um, is what obstetrics entails. Women gynecology is the other side of it, which is really just the rest of women's health. So everything to do with women's health, it's not um, the pregnancy related. So whether that's when to start your period, when you're starting your periods, um, how to not get pregnant if you don't want to be pregnant. So that, you know, entails contraception and that type of counseling. Um, what's wrong with my period? I don't know if it's normal or not. I'm I bleeding too much, too little. Um, and I'm having this pain. I don't know what to do about it. Um, how can my, uh, my gynecologist help me with that? Um, and then all the way into the menopausal period. So now I'm not having periods anymore and I'm having all these weird emotions or these symptoms. Is that normal? Is that something related to my hormones? um is that something related to my um reproductive track in any way that's what a gynecologist would do um and so like i said some people do focus one or the other but in my practice i'll be definitely doing um a little bit of everything so hopefully taking care of women all the way through all those aspects of essentially womanhood
0: awesome yeah and was there something i know just giving folks a rundown of the, how medical school works. So you go into medical school, you learn about any and every part of the human body and the different specialties within uh, or non-specialties with, uh, you know, what sort of for like um, primary like, care, which kind of yeah. touches a little bit on everything and, and or more specialties like OBGYN or surgical, or you name it, there's a specialty for it. Mm-hmm. And it's part of our body. So what was it? Was there something specific, or did you go into school planning to do OBGYN, or there was, you know, during your rotation, something drew you to it, or what kind of pulled you in that direction?
1: Yeah, I would say um, so for me, I've always had an interest in medicine and healthcare as a whole, but I didn't know exactly where I wanted to go within healthcare. So when I went into medical school, um, which is four years, I um, I initially thought I kind of wanted to do a primary care type of thing. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I thought everything would be a part of my interest. And during medical school, you have two years, generally speaking of kind of a, um, a classroom-based learning where you're really sitting in classrooms and learning, like you said, about all kinds of specialties, organs, and um, the human body. And then you have generally speaking, two years of clinicals or rotations. Um, And during that time, you're actually rotating through different specialties. So you'll spend anywhere from, it could be as little as two weeks to as many as sometimes six to eight weeks within one specialty. Um, And that will be like family medicine or general surgery or OBGYN or like your sister, um, your nose, throat, head and neck doctors, all that kind of stuff. You're rotating with those specific specialties. And so it was during that time that I realized I was most interested in women's health care specifically. And that's what drew me to OBGYN. I just realized that that was the rotation that, and, you know, you're working a lot of hours, not as many as when you're in residency, which comes after medical school, but you're, you're you know, trying to show up and be present. And so that was the rotation that it was easiest for me not to hit snooze and to actually drink my coffee before I went out in the morning. And so I realized that is a sign of, you know, that being something that I was most excited about. And what drew me to that is just women's health care, really, and just being being able to be an advocate for women um, and being able to take care of women, like I said, from Kind of the beginning to the end, um, and being able to be involved in somebody's life, um, in in so many different ways, um, and at some of the most exciting, most vulnerable moments of somebody's life, especially you know like pregnancy, trying to get pregnant, or having your baby, like all of those are like really big moments, and being able to take care of patients through all of that, and then being able to take care of patients' patients, or, and what I mean by that is their children. So like. I'm obviously not at the age where I am delivering children of people I've delivered yet, but I know OBGYNs who have been around long enough who are doing that and who are delivering children of the children they delivered. (laughs) And that just to me sounds so cool. And just that continuity of care, not having to say goodbye to my patients at any one point and just being able to keep them um, and get to know them and and grow in a relationship with them um, is just something that attracted me to OBGYN that you don't get with every specialty. So,
0: yay. <laughs> yes. They're lucky to have you, your future, your current and future patients. Um, that's awesome. So I think that kind of covers a little bit. I don't know if you had more around the idea of what's your favorite. I think that sounds like your favorite part of the job is being able to, you know, care for patients. As you said, you don't have to say goodbye to them. Usually you get to run, go with them from probably early, as early as like, you know, 10, 10 11, 12, 13, whenever people start having their period to
1: mm-hmm.
0: on down the line till, till uh, almost till death do you part, you know, a little bit. Really?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: so what would you say? So that definitely is a, a good high point in OBGYN or, or that you've experienced or hope mm-hmm. to experience. What are some of the, um, maybe some of the least favorite parts just to give people the full look, you know, so it's yeah. not all rainbows and fairy tales of, of every any any medical specialty, but it's
1: right. specific
0: to OBGYN.
1: Yeah, I would say specific to OBGYN, one of the things that is, it's kind of uh, good and bad because you really I feel like get to experience the highest highs with somebody in their life. you also could potentially be there for the lowest lows and that's just an aspect of medicine in and of itself um, because you know health health, medicine, it illness you know there are consequences there are complications um, to anything that you do when it comes to to your own health and that may be even a normal, Vaginal delivery, um, anywhere from that to what regardless of where you have your vaginal delivery, it can be wrought with complications. Um, and just life in and of itself, surgery, um, dealing with a chronic illness, um, all those types of things, dealing with cancer. And as an OBGYN, especially part of that GYN side of my job, it may be that I'm diagnosing somebody with cancer and I'm the first person to tell them. So um, when it comes to that, or when it comes to labor and delivery and a complication that happens and having to explain to a parent that, you know, something didn't go exactly the way we planned uh, when it comes to the birth of their sometimes first child, um, that's really hard. And so I think having to be there for people at both those highest highs and those lowest lows, those lowest lows are the, the part that I hate the most, but it's so important to have somebody you trust and that will support you when you are going when you are going through that. So it's kind of bittersweet because I like being able to be there for people during that, but it's also hard, especially when you have a relationship with that person to um, to have to tell them that this isn't working out the way we planned or something's wrong or um, something's not going as we expected.
0: Yeah, I can only only imagine. It takes a lot um, to do that on you as a person, as an individual, right? Like you said, mm-hmm. most of us hope to have strong relationships, interactions with any doctor that we have, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, whether it be, you know, a sur- the surgeon who's going to remove a mask or, you know, your OBGYN or just your general practitioner or anywhere in between and having those, you know, as a person, uh, being that person to have to share the the bad news of whatever the case is got to, it wears on you as, as an individual, I imagine. Um, so what would you tell, always like with people to include some career advice or, you know, there's some people who may be listening to this that either have some late high schoolers, some college students, and they're thinking about, you know, medicine, whether it be OBGYN or any other specialty. Actually, specifically, if one of my dad's cousin's daughters who's starting at Xavier, I won't put her name on blast. If she's listening to this episode, she mentioned she wanted to be either a labor and delivery nurse. Or I was like, well, don't don't rule out medicine as the doctor side, too. Um, what would you say to them that's thinking about whether it be obgyn or medicine? Any any thoughts, tips or or reflections as you've you're on the tail end of the school yeah. part um that you have for them?
1: Um, I would say definitely being On this side of it, it feels um, that it's easier to say that it's worth it. There will be times in your journey, um, if you are interested in medicine, healthcare, from any aspect, that you'll question whether or not it's worth it. So I think in order to combat that and in order to be able to continue to push on and give your best, you have to know why you're doing it. And it has to be a reason that's more than... um, and it's easier to say than you know, um, than to really reflect and think about for yourself. But just thinking about for yourself, am I doing this for money? Am I doing this because somebody's pushing me to do it? Am I doing it because my family expects me to do this? Um, and really know that for yourself, this is what you want to do. That you're interested in healthcare, um, and that that you want to be a part of um, the healthcare system, which is not great. It's not perfect. Um, but you have to want to do it to help patients and to be there for people. Um, and I think that those, that kind of reflection and knowing that that's why you're doing it, not for any other reason, not for anybody else, that's going to help get you through those moments where you doubt it, because whether you're going to nursing school, PA school, medical school, you're going to have moments where you say like, I am in debt this is hard. I'm still not at the end of this. (laughs) Why did I do this to myself? Other people are making money already. Other people are set in their careers. Other people are buying houses. And, um, it's not the case for me because I met my husband in college, but I have a lot of friends who are still single because they work so much. It's really hard. Um, and they, they haven't started their own family lives and sometimes that can be distressing. So I think that making sure that you're doing it for you is, is by far the most important thing um, because otherwise you're going to have a lot of regrets probably. The other thing to kind of figure out where you want to go is, you know, as far as nursing school, PA school, um, medical school, um, part of it's going to be a lot of talking to people in your life um, who may have already done those tracks and may have already gone through those um, through those you know, had those experiences to kind of figure out where you want to go. I think that medical school, you know, is generally a longer journey, um, but a longer journey and you, once you kind of get set, you can't generally change as easily. Now, that that's not to say that once you become a labor and delivery nurse, that it's easy to just start working in an ICU or easy to move on to a clinic setting, but it's possible as a physician if you decide you want to go ob obgyn and you do a full residency in obgyn in order to start practicing now obgyn is a little bit different cuz i could move on to just be clinic based and that could be my whole career but you know if you go into general surgery as a residency it, it doesn't really lend itself very well to a sole solely clinic based practice so depending on what you do, if you go to medical school, and residency you pick, you may kind of be locking yourself into a specific career. Now that's okay if you really want to do that and you're interested in that. But if you aren't really sure and you just kind of generally want to help people and you want to do it as soon as possible, then maybe that might be, um, you might consider more so nursing, PA school, something that will get you somewhere quicker, that doesn't require you to stay locked into a specific specialty as soon as you start. Um, So those are kind of the big things I would say to think about, depending on, uh, to try and figure out if you want to go to like nursing school or medical school. But overall, healthcare in and of itself is a lot harder um, than I realized it was going to be when I started this journey. So.
0: Sure. No, that's great advice, especially that there are other, there are many paths to, to help people. And I know just putting my own two cents on that question, you know, I, that's how I ended up actually in the world of public health. I originally went in, I don't know if I've told you this even originally went into going to get my master's in, in public health was I want to eventually go to medical school. I thought for years I've shadowed my aunt who's a doctor, all this kind of stuff, um, wanted to go to medical school, my GPA coming out of medical school, coming out of undergrad was like, eh, Um, it was great in the stuff that was related to, you know, what I wanted to do and some of the other ones and whatever. So I was like, I need to beef up my resume and talk to other doctors and people who, you know, some people who are like boards for medical schools and stuff like that. It's like, go get a master's and like have a strong GPA coming out of that. And that'll help kind of your profile going into medical school. I was like, bet, cool. I looked at who being in New Orleans, um, knowing that I I wanted to go back there to to do my master's. I was like, okay, who's got, what I'm going to get a master's in was my first question. I thought about a master's in biology. And then I thought, well, if med school doesn't work out, what the hell do you do with a master's in biology? There's probably a path there. I just didn't come to me as a thing. I don't like laboratory work enough to do Mm -hmm. like that kind of academia, research, biology, stuff like that. So I was like, cool, master's in public health. That gets me in like the still helping people setting and ended up looking through Tulane and, and LSU. And for me, for a dollars to donuts kind of perspective, LSU was far less expensive than Tulane, especially if I plan to then go to medical school for another four years and mm-hmm. get you know plenty of debt as, as physicians have. So went to there for my master's. I actually looking through the specialties instead of just doing epidemiology, I did what's called um, occupational and environmental health. So a lot of the industrial hygiene and stuff like that, that I do today, I realized between my first and second year. And I I remember distinctly, like I was in the car with my mom and we were going to help her. We were going to Jackson. She was tutoring somebody that she knew there. And I was like, mom, I think I don't want to be a doctor anymore. I think I just always wanted to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And like, I want to be done with school for a while. <laughs> I just want to start like into my career and I can actually, I can still help people. It's in a different setting. It's more at businesses and, and places and environment and things like that, especially the occupational health side of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of paths if you want to, you know, jump feet first. Public health is one, the actual mm-hmm. medical system. I felt for me, public health was a good fit because you can still help people, but your help. health helping a larger number of people and hopefully right. preventing them from having to see, you know, preventing, you know, illnesses and making them aware of certain things and lots of good information and all this kind of stuff. So definitely some good advice there around that. Yeah. So let's, let's switch gears. We're going to pick Elizabeth's OBGYN medical leader <laughs> of America brain. Um, um, We talked a bit about some of those high highs and low lows of being an OBGYN. And one of the things that's interesting that in the last two to three years, um, I would say maybe before then, but I wasn't privy to it or wasn't on my radar. um, A lot of information and articles have come out and podcasts and whole host of information. And there's an article that um, I've read through and referenced and highlight some other podcasts I'll be sure to link to that talks a lot about um, stats around Black maternal health. Um, And it's actually quite interesting, the numbers and and some of the data behind them. Lots of research has been done on this area. Um, Some things like black women are two to three times more likely to die from pregnancy related complications than white women with most of those being preventable. Um, as well as, according to a study by the National Bureau of Economic Research, the wealthiest Black woman in California is at a higher risk of maternal mortality than the least wealthy white woman. So it's just an interesting stat and goes into a lot of history. And this is a great article that I encourage y'all spend a little bit of time to read. But I wanted to get your thoughts as um, as an OBGYN yourself as a woman of color working as an OBGYN, and even as a you know new mom newish mom you know coming up on a year
1: woo, i know uh,
0: your thoughts and maybe it, maybe it maybe it's a split thought and different based on the different identities within that um and curious on there's some steps here that this article talks about but I'd love to get your intake as well
1: yeah so um unfortunately very true that in the United States, the maternal mortality rate is essentially the worst of any country with, this, with the resources that we have. Um, And it should not be the case, but there is, as you pointed out in the article, it's going to go into detail, there's a lot of things that have contributed to that being what it is today. And it's not that that's a brand new stat- statistic. It's just, I think more light has been shed on it and more has been, there are more attempts to actively do something to combat that rate um, that we're seeing in the media now, especially because uh, after the COVID pandemic, it kind of shed light on a lot of things that are wrong with our society and a lot of ways that the, sy- the system is um, prejudiced and that's just one of the ways that the system is is prejudiced is in the fact that Black women, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of your class, regardless of your occupation, your education, none of that matters. The Black maternal mortality rate stands. Um, so it's not just poor Black women um, or women who don't have resources or women who didn't graduate high school who are Black. It's all Black women. And that is, speaks to the fact that this isn't just... Um, there is an element of bias that obviously is at play here, but it's not just personal bias on an individual provider level, which like I said, does exist. It's a systemic problem and um, and that's why it doesn't matter where you are um, or what your level of education is. I think that as a um, as a woman of color, as a black woman who was pregnant just a year ago. Um, I do feel like I was afforded a level of privilege just being a provider myself. So I work at the hospital where I delivered um, in September 2022. And so I know everybody. I was able to choose my nurses, I was able to choose who delivered me. It was one of my good friends. And so I was afforded a level of privilege um, that I know is not the case for the majority of Black women around the country, but I don't say that I was afforded a level of privilege because I am—I went to medical school or because I, um, you know, I'm a part of a specific socioeconomic class. It was only because I feel like I was able to to, to hand select who was a part of my team. Um, so I will say that as kind of a. Um, a caveat to my experience as a a Black woman who um, was pregnant and delivered last year. But it is unfortunate that that is not the case for majority of women. Um, And like I said, it's a problem that people are actually trying to combat now um, in policies and, and in training and education of providers, of people at a hospital level. But it is something we actively need to to continue to work on.
0: For sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, for my experience, having j- just a mm-hmm. month ago gave birth as, as we're recording this. Yeah. I think similar I did in looking for an OB/GYN because, you know, we recently moved to back to New Orleans. So I had to figure out all the care providers. One of the things for actually all of the medical folks on my team, with the exception of my daughter's pediatrician, I made an a express effort to have a Black woman OBGYN, which mm-hmm. is unfortunately and not surprising at all um, because of given the lower acceptance rate of people of color into medical schools and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. Um, but I made an ex express effort, knowing these statistics to have a black woman provider for my, as my OBGYN. Now that doesn't guarantee that you'll then have fantastic, um, fantastic care. Cause you know, right. people, and people are people. And as you mentioned, it's a systemic I- issue. And in this article, it does talk about, um, s- those same changes that they're making, um, it's a, it's a, it centers around the national reckon reckoning that we've had, um, around systemic racism and really, you know, that even though that underpins not just an American society, but our healthcare system and some of the multiple angles to attack it. But yeah, it ended up, I mean, I think I have a great, I had a great OBGYN that I really like. It was super thorough, skilled, nice, all the things, um, especially in the world of the postpartum side of stuff. But I encourage it. This article really kind of talks about three main kind of buckets of um, how to try and attack it. You can't just be like, oh, well, if we just have more, um, you know, representation in the in the care providers, then that'll solve it. Or we change a policy or whatever. So kind of three main buckets were around medical education and health systems, bolstering community based organizations, and then reforming policies on things like Medicaid access and things mm-hmm. like that for folks, um, med- and uh, per- paid parental leave, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, right. I think the U.S. is one of only a handful of countries that don't have a like the equivalent of a federal uh, parental leave policy. Some jobs have um, parental leave and things like that, but that's another piece that will help um, with outcomes and things like
1: that. Right. And you think about that also related to um, obviously the maternal mortality rate is is something that people specifically mention a lot, but going along with that, you also have lower rates of breastfeeding in black mothers and that goes to what you were saying about all those other things that we need to change and affect, whether it be paid parental leave and more community-based resources, more access to lactation consultants and um, and mommy and me groups, and that kind of thing that actually supports and encourages mom, both in the pregnancy and the postpartum period, to um, help to ameliorate these, these discrepancies um, between Black moms and and non-black mothers. So, and that includes white and, um, Hispanic moms. So, um, for both groups, like black moms by far, um, have lower breastfeeding rates, um, and worse black maternal mortality than, than the other groups. And so I think that that article is is spot on. I mean, you have to affect all those different things and remembering that it's not just black maternal mortality that we're trying to impact. You want to, impact things all the way from the beginning to the end. And so that starts with um and so that and that includes, you know, breastfeeding which is taking care of our black children. Um and, you know, being able to support moms in all of those efforts. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh
0: something you know we're talking specifically about, you know, black maternal um health, but it's the idea if, you know, I think the saying goes uh, uh a t- rising tide lifts all boats. If you attack mm-hmm. systemic issues to address this specific aspect, then everyone's healthcare and their access to it, and their you know comfort and um, success within a healthcare setting will all improve. Right. So mm-hmm. then right. it'll help more than just you know black folks or people of color. It'll help all those all all involved and have to interact in the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Now let's talk a bit about, um, so we're talking about, you know, black maternal health and kind of switching gears a little bit to talk in general. And you mentioned a little bit about the OBGYN side, and I don't know how many people, unless you've given birth or are a birthing person um, is aware about the postpartum um, aspects of being an OBGYN. I know that there's been in the last probably 10, 15 years, there's actually finally been more attention around postpartum depression and other postpartum um, health impacts, health outcomes, um, then probably definitely in, you know, our parents' generation. I know that one of my aunts told me about looking back, she probably had postpartum depression, but at the time, it wasn't a thing, Mm air quotes, wasn't a thing um, that definitely that people talked about or um knew a lot about but now it's become something that is covered in kind of not only in like pre -pre pre-birth classes or you know you can do a quick google search and all this kind of information that's out there so making people more aware of it and hopefully intervening in that so um maybe for folks to get a little context of what is postpartum depression how that maybe differs from there's kind of levels to it if I'm if mm-hmm. I'm there's there's like the baby blues and then there's there's more depression and maybe some other postpartum outcomes you could talk yeah. about those.
1: yeah um and that's also related to um black maternal health care in that black women generally have worse rates of postpartum depression anxiety as well so another way in which, um, we just need to, um, you know, work on the system so that we can improve outcomes for, um, everyone in general, but especially for the black mothers that have worse rates of death, um, morbidity, uh, postpartum depression, anxiety, um, and all of that in, in their pregnancy journeys. But, uh, specifically to talk about postpartum depression, anxiety, like you said, there are different levels. It's historically been called uh, baby blues is kind of the first step. So pers- postpartum blues, um, moving on to a more chronic state is going to be postpartum depression, anxiety, and that can be kind of intermixed or more heavily depression or more more anxiety. Um, and then the more the rare, more rare um, form of uh, postpartum depression, which includes um, thoughts of. Hurting, killing yourself or your baby is postpartum psychosis. Um, and so, postpartum blues is generally lasts no more than two weeks. Um, and we generally say anything that lasts longer than two weeks, um, especially something that's um, that's continuing beyond that, is going to be more in the postpartum depression um, kind of stage. And then, like I said, anything that includes thoughts of hurting yourself or your baby is postpartum psychosis. And that doesn't mean that you are a bad person or you're a bad mom. It just means that you are suffering from um, a mental condition that is making it so that you can't think normally. Um, And so that's just something to make sure that people are aware of, because I think sometimes you get into this, especially as moms, thinking I'm not supposed to think that or this isn't normal or the level of anxiety I have around raising my child um, I'm not supposed to have so I can't tell anybody about it because I have to be a good mom. Um, or when it comes to depression, um I'm not sleeping normally, eating normally, but i I have to be a good mom and I have to I have to be perfect and I have to um, you know, not tell anybody that I'm struggling that I need help. Um, and so I think that one of the most important things is going to be making sure that you have support system around you as much as you can. Um, And that looks different for everybody, Um, but a support system and then communicating with your um, provider, whoever that is, whether it's a midwife, a doctor, um, you know, an OBGYN communicating with them regularly to know, like if what you're feeling is normal, because there are a lot of feelings that you're going to be feeling postpartum that I felt postpartum that I wasn't ready for. And I didn't, expect to feel as emotional as I did um but um but being able to communicate with those who support you around you and your provider are going to be the most important things to to combat um those feelings that move into depression anxiety and then when it if it does become postpartum depression anxiety if it if it um is severe enough or if it lasts long enough then it may be that you do need to talk to somebody um you need counseling you need um Medication. Um, and that's not something to be ashamed of. And it may not be that you definitely need any of those things, um, but it's better for you to talk to your provider and be able to communicate with that, communicate with them so that they can continue to follow up and at least make sure that you are um, not falling under the radar and not getting lost and not going through this on your own. Um, so I think that's the most important thing is just making sure that you try to surround yourself with people so you don't feel alone. And that those people who are around you also try and take responsibility for you as a new mom um, and be there for you and try and talk to you and ask you when it seems like maybe you're not um, you're not being yourself or you're not doing well, or you're not eating. Because um, it is hard when you're going through that to say, I need help. And so um, there is also that you know, having people around you who can ask you, Hey, do you need help? I think this isn't quite, um, I I think that maybe we can do something else is, is really important. And it's hard because when you're a new mom, the level of sleep you're getting is like nothing. (laughs) And that's just being a mom because you have a newborn baby. That's not even because you're depressed.
0: Yeah. That's every day, those little buggers, they, uh, (laughs) they want to eat they eat and it's every two hours i was talking yeah. to. it's not two hours from when they stop eating it's from when they first start so that first yeah. milk and you're like bruh you took 30 minutes to get there so it's really an hour and a half and it takes me 10 minutes to get it together so it's just like yeah. round the clock round right. the clock for sure and that's a, yeah that's definitely it's definitely hard i'm 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 raising my hand i'm in the middle midst of it i'm thankfully have a husband who does the night shift part of that so and the baby's maybe starting to sleep close to through the night (laughs) does all the fingers and eyeballs cross all the things but um yeah it's definitely a thing i know i could speak personally around um a little bit around some of that postpartum stuff, definitely felt some of those things. And even um given some of my pre-existing conditions, um, there are some that can make you even more likely to mm-hmm. go through postpartum, whether it reaches depression or psychosis and things like that, which I kind of fell into that category personally. Um so it's definitely something if you're feeling as as Elizabeth has described and it's okay to feel those feelings, but Let's let your care providers know, definitely. Definitely important to get the help and especially earlier the better, right? Before things right. can escalate or worsen.
1: And so another thing that um, providers can do on um from that perspective is if you know somebody is at an increased risk for having a postpartum mood disorder of any type, then um One important thing is, and something that our American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology recommends is that you do have close follow-up, like you said, um, that you do see your patients who are at an increased risk a little bit earlier in their postpartum care, so within the first two weeks, generally speaking, Um, and If anybody has ever, um, as you experienced, Monique, when you um, took Camille to her first visits, um, and any mom knows, when you go for your first visits for your newborn, the pediatrician will give you a a survey to see if you fall under um, a category of postpartum depression that should be alerted or concerning or communicated to a provider. And the reason why they do that is because historically, not all moms go to their postpartum visits because it's hard to get to the doctor for yourself (laughs) when you're at that stage. And it is, it is cumbersome to get yourself up in the morning. You know, sometimes there are many days I did not shower in the immediate postpartum period and that's okay. But, um, the reason why that that survey is given to people in the newborn visits is because if you didn't go to your postpartum visit, that may be the only time they see that postpartum mom. Mm -hmm. So, um, like you said, especially with the advent of, you know, telemedicine and, you know, things you can do online, message your provider through some charting email system online. Um, Use those avenues, even when you can't get out of bed, even when you can't um, get yourself to go to your own doctor's appointments, um, then use those avenues in order to make sure you're communicating with your provider. Hey, I don't know if what I'm feeling is normal, but it doesn't feel normal. Um, and then make sure they're listening to you. Um, and I think that that is an aspect that, um, you know, as I was talking to my husband about, you know, getting ready for the podcast beforehand, an aspect of, uh, black maternal health, I think is really important is, um, being listened to. Um, Mm -hmm. and that starts with you communicating. Um, and then if you don't feel like you're being listened to, um, then, you know, reach out to people who, you know, will listen to you. Um, and maybe that means, you know, if you haven't found a provider that is listening to you, um, trying to reach out to support people around you who will help you, um, communicate with someone who will listen, um, and, and, you know, making sure that you are heard because yeah, that's honestly, that's half the battle is, just communicating and then being heard. And you can't control what people hear, um, but you can control what you're communicating to people. So using all those ways in order to make sure that you're you're talking to people, you're expressing your feelings is, is going to be the best way to make sure that you are supported.
0: No, absolutely. I think the biggest thing that I can tell everyone as a public health professional, um, which holds true regardless of what part of the healthcare system you're interacting with, you have to be your own advocate a lot of times, whether that's in the world of OBGYN or any other aspect that affects your personal health. If you feel like, okay. as Elizabeth's, as Elizabeth mentions about not, if you feel like you're not being listened to, keep beating the same drone, using your support people um, you know, reaching out to the support staff and even like nursing or, or other folks to kind of beat the mm-hmm. same drum if you feel like something's not right. Something's different than your normal, right? What's normal for you right. too, individually, not just normal for, you know, postpartum, but something doesn't feel right and you feel like you're not getting enough um, that they're not listening to you, definitely continue to be your own advocate and beat that same drum because it it's usually... Um, it's helpful and it could be, it could be nothing, but it could be something that, right. that's, that you know, someone is missing or not, not, a uh, not catching and just keep beating that same br- drum. All right. yeah. Look at you, Elizabeth up here, killing a podcast, just wait. <laughs> um, so that is pretty much the stuff I wanted to get into today on this episode. So do you have any uh, things you want to plug, information, um, good
1: resources for folks, or any of that before we kind of wrap this up. Um, I think I, I mean I don't have anything specifically that I want to plug. I just you know want to say that I think that um it is really important, like you said, to advocate for yourself um, and to find your support network, your community, um, and to make sure that they know what you want when it comes to your own health care. Um, so whether that's pregnancy, whatever's going on in your life, um, making sure that the people around you know um, what is most important to you um, when it comes to your health care. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that that is one of the most important aspects, I think, of of making sure that you are, Um, taken care of and that your provider is able to to really address what's going on with you is is making sure that you're able to you know express that and and advocate for yourself
0: awesome awesome sauce well thank you so much elizabeth for coming on the podcast and uh really appreciate your time
1: thank you so much for having me monique and uh congratulations to you i can't wait to meet your little one (laughs) right
0: Wow, thank you so much to Elizabeth for sitting down with me. It was a really great episode, a lot of great information. Definitely make sure if you're listening to this, check out the show notes. We referenced a really good article talking about Black maternal health and how we can work to solve it. If you haven't read about that, definitely worth the read. So I'll end this episode uh, making sure to remind you of a couple things. Go ahead, like and subscribe to this podcast if you found it fun and interesting. Um, go ahead and share that with your friends, family, and even your enemies. Um, you can check us out. We're on all your favorite podcast platforms. The easiest way to find us is go to the website, thevictorypodcast.com, and we have a tab on where to listen. So thank you for joining, and I hope you have a great one. And I'll end this episode like I do every episode. Every problem has a solution. It's whether you're willing to do the work to find it. Let's do the work and be victorious.